In February of 1943, the SS Dorchester was transporting U.S. troops and merchants across the sea during World War II when it was suddenly attacked by a German submarine. It took only 20 minutes for the Dorchester to sink, and 675 people lost their lives. But perhaps the biggest part of the story when news of it traveled back to the U.S. concerned four chaplains who had been on board. These four military chaplains had spent their days on the Dorchester ministering to and caring for those on board. And when the torpedo struck on that night in February, they kept looking out for everyone. As men scrambled around for safety, for lifeboats and life vests, the four chaplains quickly began guiding individuals to where they needed to go. Then they helped people get life vests in preparation to jump overboard. But soon, all the life vests had been passed out, and not everyone had one. That's when those four chaplains each took off their own life vest, found someone without one, and gave it away. Survivors said that as the ship went down, those four chaplains linked arms and prayed and sang hymns together while the ship sank. One survivor, looking back on the sacrifice of those chaplains, said, It was the finest thing I have seen or hope to see this side of heaven. When we learn about what those chaplains did, we're able to understand why their actions were so incredible. They displayed true love and sacrifice. This morning, we're going to read about a greater act of love and sacrifice, the greatest this side of heaven, which is when Jesus came and died on the cross for us. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 17, John chapter 19. Here we return to that hour when darkness reigned. There have been many dark hours throughout human history, when spiritual darkness seemed almost all-consuming, such as when it reared its ugly head in the Garden of Eden and mankind first stepped into sin, or when the wickedness of mankind was so rampant that a worldwide flood was the only just response, or when people gathered in defiance of God at the Tower of Babel, and the list goes on. But all these pale in comparison to the day when the wickedness of men rose up to put to death the Son of God. Jesus had undeniably lived a perfect life, performed miracles no man can do, and taught with divine authority. But he was rejected by the crowds and the religious leaders. He was rejected by those who claimed to be waiting for the Messiah. They condemned him to death on a cross. The greatest light of truth, the fullest revelation of God had come to earth, and mankind stamped out that light. This was the darkest hour. And as it came to a close, we'll see this morning what Jesus did as he gave himself up for us. So let's look together in John chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 17. It says this, Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. 
This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. And let's pause right here in John chapter 19. Jesus, already exhausted after being dragged from trial to trial that night and morning, after being beat, whipped, mocked, and spat on, now carried his cross to his execution site. He was so weak at this point that he couldn't carry it long, and Luke's gospel tells us that the Romans pressed a man into service to carry it for the Lord. Then Jesus arrived at Golgotha. The nails were driven through his wrists and feet, and as the cross was set upright, his weight began to bear down on those wounds. You see, the positioning of crucifixion makes it hard to breathe. So next, our Lord would have to push up on his feet and pull at his wrist to straighten up to breathe properly, all while his back, already bleeding from being whipped, rubbed against the splintered cross. But more than this, the greatest weight Jesus bore on the cross was not the weight of his body on his wounds, though that would have been torture. The greatest weight on the cross was the weight of our sins laid on him. One might be able to attempt to imagine the pain of crucifixion, and it is a pain that many people have endured throughout history. But the pain and the weight of mankind's sin is one that we can never imagine and one that we need not imagine because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for us. Remember, none of this, none of these things that were happening surprised Jesus. He knew what was coming. But Jesus, the light of the world, willingly allowed the darkness and those within it to do this. What did Jesus do all those years ago at Golgotha? He suffered for us. He did this because of his love for the world. He loved the two criminals hanging on his right and on his left side. He loved the religious leaders who mocked him in these moments. He loved the soldiers who nailed him to the cross and cast lots for his clothes. And he loves you and me despite all the wickedness of our hearts. He loves sinners so much that Luke tells us, Jesus cried out from the cross in this moment, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. As all this went on, Matthew's gospel tells us that the religious leaders and people passing by hurled insults at Jesus. They said things like, He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel? Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Of course, he could have. Jesus could have come down in power and shown all these sinners just how mighty he is. He could have easily called for more than 12 legions of angels if he wanted. But Jesus wasn't there to save himself. He was there to save us. So he didn't respond to the taunts of those passing by and the religious leaders standing there. He didn't destroy them as their actions deserved because the whole point was for Jesus to take the punishment that our actions deserve. So what did Jesus do? He took every pain, every insult, and the weight of every sin, and he suffered because he loves sinners and desires to see them saved from sin and from its penalty. Let's keep going. Look at verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. 
Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Remember that our Lord was subject to the same things we are when he took on flesh. He was subject to pain. Oh, the immense pain he felt each time the whip hit his back when he was scourged, when each fist punched his face during those trials, when each nail drove through his skin to secure him to the cross, the pain he felt when he pushed up on those nail-pierced feet, scraping his back against the cross so he could get air in his lungs. He hung there struggling to breathe with every breath pure torture, and then came thirst. It was agonizing pain, and then it was finished. And it is finished, friends. Since that moment in time when Jesus Christ breathed his last breath on the cross, it has been finished. This is how the opportunity for forgiveness came about for all of us wretched and hopeless sinners. It came because Jesus stepped in and paid the penalty for us. He drank down the cup of judgment for our sins. And when the cup finally ran empty, when the righteous wrath of God was satisfied, Jesus gave up his spirit because he finished the payment for sin. No longer do we need to rely on the daily sacrifices of sheep at the temple. No, because the perfect Lamb of God came and paid the penalty for our sins once for all at the cross. He finished it. And the moment that we come to Jesus Christ in faith for the forgiveness of our sins, we are finally made right in God's sight. He forgives every sin that we have ever committed and that we will ever commit. This is why Jesus came. And he finished the mission of suffering on our behalf. He fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. He paid the whole penalty and all that was left was to conquer death at his resurrection. Through his death came this great forgiveness. But if you think that you are too far gone in your sin, that yours is too much, too terrible to be forgiven, or if you wonder if his death is really sufficient to cover your sins, then friend, consider the fact that one of those criminals hanging there that day who began the day mocking Jesus, later cried out to him in faith. And Luke 23 tells us that Jesus said to that man, Today you will be with me in paradise. You are not too far gone, friend. Even that sinner in the throes of death, who admitted he deserved to die for his actions, who earlier had mocked Jesus, he received salvation through faith in Jesus. Forgiveness is available. But don't wait as long as that thief on the cross did. For those of us who have responded to Jesus in faith, we will often find ourselves surrounded in this life by those who mock God. Truthfully, they are many and we are few. Like the disciple John, referred to here as the one whom Jesus loved, just as John and the small group of women found themselves surrounded by evil men, and mocking voices on that day near the cross, we too, believers, will find ourselves surrounded by the same types of mocking hearts in this life. But like that sweet group of believers, let's always be found near to the feet of Christ when others mock God and his people. As we remain at Jesus' feet, we will be constantly reminded that he cares for us. Consider the fact that Jesus, in the midst of great torment and suffering, went out of his way to care for his mother's needs. 
and he will certainly care for us from his place of glory. Believers, Jesus finished paying for our sins at the cross. Those of us who come to him in faith receive forgiveness. While the world will hate us, as we draw near to Jesus, we will find him caring for our needs. I'm not saying that we'll be wealthy and that we'll be comfortable. These things aren't guaranteed to believers, but the Lord's presence and provisions are. On this day, this dark day when the light of the world was rejected, Jesus suffered for sinners and finished his mission of paying the penalty for sin. But there's more that I want us to see in John chapter 19 this morning. So let's look now together at verse 31. Now was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. You know, light... Light exposes things. For example, most of us, we wouldn't, we wouldn't vacuum in the dark because we wouldn't know where the clean or dirty spots were on the carpet. So we need light. Well, spiritual light also reveals much about the hearts of people. As Jesus, the light of the world, hung on the cross, the hearts of those near him were made clear. There was that small group of his followers staying close to him and mourning for him. They were the ones who believed in him. Then there were the soldiers, the crowds, the religious leaders who mocked and hated him, wicked hearts of those who rejected the Son of God. And after Jesus died, the wicked hearts of the religious leaders remained on full display. They were stubborn hypocrites, unrepentant, unmoved by the things of God, even as Jesus fulfilled prophecy before their very eyes. Matthew's gospel tells us that when Jesus died, the earth shook, rocks split, tombs broke open, and that even a centurion standing there at the crucifixion exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. But these things fell on hard hearts with the religious leaders. They were so callous to the truth that after having put to death the Son of God, they were just ready to move on get this whole ordeal behind them so that they could get back to deceiving the people and deceiving their own hearts into thinking that they were walking with God by celebrating a special Sabbath. They asked for the legs to be broken so the rest of that day could be completed. That's because crucifixion could take days for its victims to die. But when a crucified individual's legs were broken, they could no longer push themselves up for air and would die shortly afterwards. Of course, Jesus had already died, so his legs were not broken Instead, his side was pierced and scriptures were fulfilled. Jesus finished his mission of paying our sin debt. But in this moment, the religious leaders were excited that they had completed their mission of killing Jesus. Jesus, the light of the world, revealed what was in the hearts of those around him. Because when a person is confronted by the light of Christ in the gospel, they must make a decision to believe in or reject the Lord. And the same is true today. But today, there are many people like the religious leaders and the other mockers there on that day at the crucifixion. They reject Jesus. 
There are some who come to Jesus in faith and receive the forgiveness of their sins. Those of us who have done this, we must no longer walk in the spiritual darkness of the world. We must walk in the righteous light of God's truth, no matter the consequences, no matter what the world might do. Let's take a look at an example of that from two believers in John chapter 19, beginning in verse 38. It says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Previously, Joseph of Arimathea had kept his faith a secret because he was afraid. Nicodemus seems to have done the same thing. We can judge them for that, but instead we should be asking ourselves, are we doing that? Do we keep our faith a a secret? Walking in spiritual darkness to fit in, only revealing our faith on Sunday morning when we're around other Christians? Or do we boldly walk with Jesus in the light of his truth and righteousness? Joseph and Nicodemus had been living in weak faith, but now they boldly stepped forward to reveal it. There would have been no hiding from others the fact that they were the ones to receive the body of Jesus and lay him in Joseph's tomb. While many of the Lord's disciples were still running scared, these two believers came forward in their faith. Because just as the light of truth reveals those who are opposed to it, the light also reveals those who are true believers. We were not called to hide in our faith, Christians, but to boldly step out in it to follow Jesus Christ, even though we will be few, even though we will face danger and hardship for it. Sometimes we'll be tempted to stay hidden, but let's always be found near to Christ like those near the cross. If we've been hiding our faith, then let's pray for courage like Joseph and Nicodemus to step out from that hiding and live in the light of God's truth. Believers, Jesus did many things that day when he died on the cross. He fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. He suffered for our sins. He finished the punishment sin deserves. And he revealed what was in the hearts of those around him. This was a dark day. It was the time when Jesus said darkness would reign. But even as that darkness was on full display, even as the light of the world was stamped out by wicked men, the victory did not belong to them. Because we now have this free and full forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's never forget all that Jesus did in his great love for the world on that dark day. Let's never forget that it was his mission that was accomplished. The sacrifice of those four chaplains during World War II was incredible. But we don't hear their story today. More and more, the great sacrifice of those chaplains is fading from memory. Maybe one reason is because all the survivors of the SS Dorchester have passed away. But Jesus Christ continues to rescue people today. His sacrifice is the greatest that has ever occurred because he paid the whole penalty for sin and he is still offering forgiveness to all who come to him in faith. And believers, we ought to share our story of rescue. We ought to share all that he did for us with anyone that we can. 
Because the truth this morning is that because of what Jesus did for us, we need to live in the light and bring others to him. I know that sounds simple, believers, yet it is still the truth for us. It is still our takeaway as we look at the crucifixion of Jesus to remember that because of what Jesus did for us, we need to live in the light and bring others to him. His sacrifice should never fade from our memory. It should be the reason for everything that we do, and it should inspire us to share him with anyone that we can. And I pray that this would be true for each of us here this morning. Friend, if you're joining us and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, if you have never given your life to him, you've never had that moment where you went to him in prayer for the forgiveness of your sins, understand that your sins are separating you from God. They're separating you from God right now in this life. And if you do not have them forgiven in this life, they'll separate you forever from God after this life. And you will be separated from God in a place of torment called hell. But understand that God does not desire for you to spend your eternity in hell. God wants you to be with him. He wants you to be forgiven. And we know this is true because God proved that 2,000 years ago at the cross. When Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. And friend, understand that after Jesus died, he was buried. And three days later, he powerfully rose from the dead. Proving that he is the son of God, the savior, the only one who can forgive us of our sins. And Jesus is waiting right now to do that for you. The Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you are ready to call on his name, to go to him for forgiveness, to go to him in faith and give him your life. He will save you. He will forgive you of all your sins and he will be your savior. You'll no longer be separated from God, but you'll begin walking in a relationship with him that will begin in this life and go on forever and eternity with him. But friend, you need to make that decision and the choice is yours. Let's pray together. If you're joining us and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, understand that no matter where you are in life and no matter where you find yourself right now, you can go to Jesus Christ in prayer and you can give him your life. You can admit that you know that you are a sinner, but that you know Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You believe he did not stay in the grave but rose from the dead. You can give your life over to him and he will save you. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who has never made that decision, that today would be the day that they receive that free and full forgiveness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. For those of us who have received it, please be with us. Help us to understand that even though there will be difficult times in this life, you are are with us. And that because of all that Jesus did for us, we should desperately desire to share him with others. Give us those opportunities this week to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. And give us the boldness we need to step up and share the truth of that message. And Father, we pray that in all these things, you would be glorified. Father, we love you, but we know that you love us more. You proved that 2,000 years ago when you sent your son to die for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.